Now, I've always heard that Canadians were the nicest, and I think I've, that's been proven true. Today, I've got my first, I think, Canadian guest here on On The Fly Filmmaking. We're talking to cinematographer Luc yes. Montpellier. Perfect. Oh my gosh, I know French. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. No matter how much I practice, I feel like... French is always going to catch me. And I just came back from New Orleans from a production, so I tried to learn, but I think I did okay. You did great. Yeah, I just I just got nervous. Mont, Montpellier. But Perfect. the T, the T is silent. It is very silent. Yeah. Mont Montpellier. Montpellier. Ooh. Yes. See, I can say Perrier, right? That, yeah, it's close to that, right? It is very close to that. Awesome. Well, hi, everybody. I am Mary Lou Mandel, your host today for On The Fly Filmmaking. And today, we're talking to the cinematographer of Counterparts. Uh, the new Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, along with a ton of other really fun projects. <laughs> and we've been having a really amazing conversation for the past, I think, 40 minutes about the history of filmmaking and creativity. So I think it's going to be a great episode. Cinematographer, Luc Montpellier. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining me today. So um, you are here in town visiting from Canada. So you do a lot of your shoots up in Canada? Uh, yeah, that's where I went to film school uh -huh. and... Uh, been spending a lot of my time. I still have a home there. Yeah. I split my time between LA and Toronto. Nice. Yeah. And that's that's something that you you find a lot with uh, production folks is that we do work a lot of different places. No kidding. You can pick a city to kind of keep your stuff in. Everybody always asks me. They're like, oh, like where do you live? I'm like, well, my stuff is in LA. That's exactly right. Yeah. I have a bed in Toronto and a bed here yeah. in LA, but pretty much you travel everywhere mm -hmm. and that's kind of the fun of it too yeah um, do you find uh and we maybe get into this a little bit more later about uh like different markets that are a good place to start in but uh in canada they do a lot of productions there very much yeah yeah so but you started there and then you just you come out to other places for work like that's home base yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah i went to film school at mm -hmm. uh, ryerson university there mm -hmm. uh did a four-year program there mm -hmm. I'm which from, city is it in toronto oh in toronto yeah mm -hmm. i'm from a small town in northern ontario yeah that's about five hours north uh, called sudbury ontario yeah. but i it's pretty much a mining town, mm -hmm. so I moved to the big city, yeah. the closest one that had a bit of a film center, and mm -hmm. that's kind of where I stayed. Uh, and Toronto has been the place that I kind of again I started music videos in the '90s, and yeah. there was a lot. There's a lot of production happening just based on the, the dollar, and they have great tax incentives. It's, it's kind of the Atlanta of of uh, of Canada yeah. in a lot of ways. Right yeah, now. definitely. So. I've seen a lot of like pr uh, production coming out of Toronto, whether it's like in the digital space or in traditional production. Like mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of it come out of there and I actually yeah. considered moving there because I was like, oh, I'm over LA. It just is not for me. I need to go somewhere else. And I considered right. that because I was like, everybody seems nice. And yeah. Let's just make some cool stuff. Yeah. But as you say, it's mm -hmm. really, it's a world business. Yeah. It's, even though I have a place in both uh, in the US and Canada, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be in my home base. I spent most of the last couple of years on the road, whether it was within Canada or I was in Virginia for a movie. I was in Vancouver for something else, Montreal. It's just, it's everywhere now. Yeah. And you have to kind of be, when you reach a certain point in your career, I think you have to be willing to maybe do that mm -hmm. to keep your options. Because I'm a filmmaker at heart. I love doing this. So it's really important to me not just to do it, but it's kind of the content is very important to me. Yeah. So I get seduced by that. Yes. So getting on a plane uh, is sometimes the only way to kind of pursue something you really want to do. 
So at least I have two cities covered. Yeah. But I'll never have the world covered other than traveling yeah. <laughs> all the time. You, you, so, you hop all yeah. around. I know yeah. the folks that follow me on social media, they're like, I'm always on a plane. They're like, do you do you live anywhere? Like, <laughs> in a hotel. Yeah, exactly. In Courtyard Marriott. Lot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. my spot. Awesome. So, uh, Luke, I want to talk to you about, um, uh, in case people aren't sure and they're just learning about uh, filmmaking, what is a cinematographer, also referred to as director of photography? Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Uh, a cinematographer uh, pretty much handles all of the camera and lighting uh, requirements of a film mm-hmm. or a TV show. So we work very closely with the directors and we're the kind of their technical advisors in a lot of ways. But with that, bring a lot of visual ideas. So I pretty much describe it as we're the photographer, the still photographer of a movie for mm-hmm. a TV show. Uh, so we pretty much uh, are visual designers. So we work closely with the production designers in uh, kind of working with them because obviously sets need to be lit and also a certain tone needs to be created. Mm-hmm. So pretty much there's this beautiful blend of the technical and creative so it's kind of using both sides of your brain and that kind of you meet in the middle and it's uh, really fun to do. So there's a little bit of the the magician aspect that I love about it where it's the the person behind the the, the curtain Mm -hmm. uh, kind of idea. So and also just this idea of being able to sit with a director and go through the script and collaborate. So a lot of times they will have a very specific idea, but sometimes they're kind of want to jam on things. I use a a lot of music terminology in my job. Uh, We've had actually a bunch of uh, our guests do that as well. Like they think about it in in musical terms, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's it makes sense because you know, let's say if you use jazz as Mm -hmm. an example, everyone's an expert in their own instruments Mm -hmm. and they're really specialized. But then sometimes when you put it all together, new things happen. And sometimes there are the solos. And so to me, it's it's uh, it's very kind of fluid like music that way. And also it's just kind of a music is uh, kind of an obvious choice to talk about something that doesn't exist that suddenly happens on stage. Yeah. So it's similar for filmmaking. Definitely. Where you have, if you're open to it, uh, and you're after you after a while, hopefully you kind of shed the inhibitions of, you know, all the, the ways to make it, and then you start thinking about just the ideas behind things. Because there's such a huge barrier between learning how to do it then once you've learned how to do the basics, you kind of hopefully forget about it, and then you really start doing great work. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of with with a director. You're kind of if a director is a general, I'm their lieutenant. Yeah, uh, you know, next to them, if to use military terms. Yeah, and uh, I usually have a crew of lighting and grip people that. Uh, pretty much apply uh, what I kind of come up with in a visual design in collaboration with all the mm-hmm. keys in a, in a movie. Yeah. So. And it's so neat because like, I think one of the things that fascinates me the most about filmmaking is that, you know, we've got this image, right, that people see. And like, I cannot look at an image without thinking of like, oh, there's like all these lights back there. There's like a hundred people standing over here that are just like, okay, <laughs> Okay, good. And it's just like so fascinating to me uh, to to know that. And then like when you start learning about all the different positions, and this is why we have this show, as somebody who's interested in filmmaking, is that there are tons of cogs running the machine. And you may like try this one, but maybe you're interested in this other one. But you don't until you get on a set, you can't really see that all these pieces exist because there's a probably a place for you. Maybe you're not the director. Maybe you're not a cinematographer. But like, boy, do you love moving lights. 
That's because right. there's an art to that also, or you love building sets and doing things like that. So did you ever want to explore other departments in filmmaking? You know, I was one of the lucky ones that uh, during film school, I entered film school wanting to be a director, mm-hmm. like, but I didn't understand any of the positions. As yeah. you say, there's so many positions. Um, but the beautiful thing that happened in my third year of my four-year program is I kind of all suddenly woke up one day and realized I'd been shooting a lot of people's short films since I started. And I'd always done still photography. So pretty much I was one of the lucky ones that when I got out of film school, it was in the mid-90s, that there were tons of music. It was kind of like the golden age of music yeah. videos. Oh it was my gosh, very, the 90s music videos. Yeah, Any right? that we would recognize? Uh, geez, a lot of Canadian acts. Yeah, okay. <laughs> the Tea Party, they, they, they kind of hit in the States a little bit. But it was a lot of, I worked for a little music video company that was making two video two videos a week almost. Because mm-hmm. we had our, our equivalent of, of MTV was Much Music, mm-hmm. which I think was over satellite here in the States. Yeah, I remember yeah. watching Much Music. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, it's no longer, the music video world has changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Now it's all YouTube. and But they were offering grants to independent acts that to produce videos. They were giving them like 10, 15 grand to say, go make your video and give us content. But also it helped them promote their, their indie act. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got into that stream. So I was shooting a lot and experimenting a lot. Right. In, Especially because in, in music videos, you can go all sorts of directions and every time you can change, it's not like you got onto a show and you're like, wait, this is the tone I'm doing for the next five years. Yeah. It music. was a, it was a perfect base for me to, to basically in my narrative career, which I know we'll talk about, mm-hmm. kind of give me this idea that film could be anything. Yeah. It doesn't have to be you know, uh, you know, master cover cover. It could be anything you want it to be based on the story. Yeah. So I, what I was trying to say is, my I was lucky to get into cinematography right away because of this content was so in demand for the yeah. music videos. I did a little bit of a stint as a lighting a gaffer, kind of a chief lighting technician uh, on a few dramas. I did a bit of operating for drama, but uh, I pretty much was lucky enough to be at the right time, right place. And I also star- starred for 10 years, so I just kind of did a bunch of freebies and mm-hmm. was able to have little part-time jobs so that I could pay for my, my habit, which was filmmaking, because yeah. I was obsessed with it. So I think it really... You know, the business, I think, really demand a lot of people that have kind of a, a slightly obsessive personality with something like that. And it's kind of a it was a lifestyle at that point. Like I lived and breathed it then. And as I get older now, it's like, oh, now I have a child and there's different things that happen. But but to me, I just remember those were fond years because I, it was kind of the beginning of. Uh, a track that I really still enjoy today. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is something that I really do encourage people always. So, so like, you you did go to film school, mm-hmm. aiming for one target, discovered another target, went into this music video realm, which was maybe not what you were aiming at, but you at tried something new. That's right. That was, like, a little Wild West. Yeah. Yeah. It was an opportunity because mm-hmm. I was open to the opportunities that were in front of me. So, I kind of went for it because I knew if I was... Sh- would be able to shoot a lot of videos. It's just a lot of experience on set. I could learn about gear, technology, technique, all of this stuff. And really the stakes were kind of low in a way Mm -hmm. because it was just like mistakes were always welcome because in videos at the time it was still being shot on film and sometimes we were intentionally messing the footage up Mm -hmm. (laughs) to kind of create a bit of an effect. So it was really like an extension of film school. 
almost. Right. But it was paid work. It was very small amounts of money, mm-hmm. but it was still, I was a professional all of a sudden. Yes. And working in those, that kind of environment. You're like so, saturating yourself in it. So then after music videos went out, you were like still filming stuff, but you were doing other jobs. Uh, I was. I mean, uh, I was primarily shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then what would happen was, is in up in Canada, we would have a lot of arts grants that mm-hmm. were kind of a part of the federal budgets. And the, we actually have arts funding a bit in Canada on oh, a federal it level. Like magical I know. place. I <laughs> know. It is. Well, it's interesting. A lot of people start, a lot of Canadians start there. But then after a while, once they start... They reach a plateau. Hollywood's a, another kind of logical move for them because you you kind of get, you know, again, you get obsessed with trying to find good projects. So the market is so big here. That's why it's a natural progression. I mean, a lot of comedians come here yeah. that we all know. So uh, a lot of talent comes here after a while. So what was happening during the videos, I, one of these like short films would come along where uh, whether it was a colleague at film school, and that's what I think I should say, the most valuable thing I got from film school Mm -hmm. was meeting the people. Yes. It was like I learned a lot Mm -hmm. about film history and great production, but a lot of my production experience, Mm -hmm. even though Ryerson, the the university, was very well known as a Mm hands-on technical school, I I pretty much learned a lot of things I use today on the job, Mm -hmm. exactly. But the people that I met there, some of them I still work, to this day yeah. and it was they kind of were around directors that were doing videos at the time that's how I kind of got my break it was somebody dropped out of film school mm-hmm. and they started directing videos and they brought me in mm-hmm. so uh, so the short films came along and then all of a sudden again there was a little indie feature that came uh, called 1984 which was my very first film which I, I kind of cringe at when I look at these days because yeah. <laughs> I was very new at but the whole thing when you start it's always going to be like your taste exactly. will grow and you gotta dive in mm-hmm. like i just look back at that time of how bold you know the choices were when it came to i was just out of film school i was offered a little indie feature there's still a decent amount of money being spent it's not like it's 500 bucks it was still a large amount because we we're still shooting on film when i when i did that so it still had a cost to it that you realize how kind of bold you were and you need to be sometimes you just got to dive in and take that chance yeah and not be afraid because you'll nobody will ever give you an opportunity they might give you a chance but sometimes you got to stretch it a little bit and at that time today's a totally different world because the digital world everyone can see what they're shooting but when it was film as a cinematographer you were still the magician you were still seeing dailies the next day so if you didn't quite know what you were doing, uh, you know, you, nobody can fake being a DP. Mm-hmm. It's either there or it's not, or it's well-designed or it's not. Right. Because it's the technical part of the filmmaking process. Yeah. So I'm happy I kind of went through that at that time. So because, you know, it really taught me by shooting film that you really need to be pretty sure about your choices. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it gave you confidence in a bigger way when you saw the results because you couldn't just look at a video monitor and say, you know what, this is, oh, it looks great. Uh You had to know your stuff. But I didn't always, so Mm -hmm. I had to take a chance. So it really taught me to take chances that way. Yeah, and I think that's where like a lot of uh, cinematographers that I've met are always like kind of cocky. (laughs) <laughs> like especially if they're like traditional you know like that they've come from film not saying all of them but right, like you right. get this confidence because you're like i can put something together and know it's going to look good right because they've done it enough 
that's what you're being hired to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a director, you you don't have to always know about lenses. You don't have to. You can get by. I mean, all the best filmmakers that we all know, the Scorseses of the world, they all have a team of people for a long, many, many years uh, have been, they've been the same core people. And that's not just an accident. It's because there's this kind of common trust. Yeah. You know, uh, you get a shorthand, you get your team because you like, you've been in the trenches together yeah. working for 16 hours and right. not having anything to eat. But like, because you're that's like, right. we just got to get the shot. We're losing daylight. We, right. We're going to lose the actors. We're going to lose this, the location. Yeah. Everyone's looking to you to make it happen. Yeah. So I guess you need a bit of confidence. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's funny you use the word cocky because, I mean, in a way, I think it ties to what I was saying, which is you can't fake your way out of it. So you kind of have to do your homework. But also you're constantly by the crew, even the directors looking at you, they'll say what the shot is a lot of times, but you have to go do it. Yeah. So you have to, nothing happens without, of course, your team of people, but it all starts after the director, it starts yeah. with you. So You have to be able to like explain and get this vision to execute. Yeah. And, and be very clear as to what you want. But also, I have a team of people. Uh, it's funny, we talk about traveling around the world. Like, what the beautiful part of, of that as well is that I've now started to get to know crew people that I call all the time in mm-hmm. different cities all over North America and Europe. And that's because as much as I want to do something without them i can't do it so i have to inspire them as well so it goes downhill a director inspires me and then i have to get it done but without them i'm just a guy that's saying hey let's do all this great stuff yeah (laughs) and if but so it really is i'm nothing without a crew i mean you hear cinematographers say that all the time but it's Mm -hmm. very true yeah um it's it's uh because you're literally commanding a machine of of you know sometimes a couple of dozen people if not more depending on the scale of what you're doing but the more money you get the bigger the ideas get so that means there's more resource that are being you have to manipulate uh that's a big job so uh and you have to inspire those people as well so as much as you could be cocky you can't be conceited because people won't Mm-hmm. They'll just turn away and say, "Screw you." Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, people are human beings at their core, obviously. Mm-hmm. So if you treat somebody like dirt, they're going to walk, or they're not going to do their best job. Yes. But I always find when I kind of invite crew in to collaborate with me, just like a director will. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, the good ones do. I think, and I believe all the good, all the greats have done that. Yeah. But a lot of our media is focused on that because it's the machine. We were talking about this earlier mm-hmm. about the actors and director, and that's kind of what. We focus on as a society, and it's fun to see, but there's this, as you say, this machine, this group of people behind the scenes uh, that have to get along, or nothing gets done. Uh, You know, Guillermo del Toro just shot Shape of Water in Toronto. That was a largely Toronto crew, not to plug the city. (laughs) But, But that, to me, was, you know, knowing the city intimately, and I know a lot of people that worked on that, uh... I hear amazing things about that man and just how collaborative he is. And you'd think, oh, he's a genius. He does it. But he very much collaborates with people in a very close way. So that's inspiring. So it it kind of reminds me all the time that I have to kind of, you know, I I will ask a gaffer, a chief lighting technician, you know, this is kind of the vibe I want with this. And then what do you think? Mm -hmm. And you're constantly going back and forth. And I find... Films uh, that are made, this is my personal opinion, because some people need that kind of, 
you know, friction to kind of feel they're doing something well. But I find most of the time, once you create a safe environment for everybody, you mm-hmm. get the best work. Because yes. anyone, and I think the actors start feeling a certain vibe about how, you know, the set is feeling to them mm-hmm. and it might push them to go to certain places. So you're not just doing your own technical thing. You're actually in in unison kind of feeling Yes. Feeling the vibes off each other. Like a crew in a set is like on its own a living, breathing thing that has moods and it has like different energies and you kind of have to baby it. You do, exactly. You you have to just like take care of like, okay, like the the, the set's feeling a little sick. The crew's feeling like a little down. Mm -hmm. Like what can we do Mm -hmm. to raise morale? Because you are dealing with humans. And I think with the collaborative thing, what's really good about that is I've found that if I give somebody, like I ask for an opinion then they, they feel a little bit of ownership versus like, that's right. just set up this light. No, like, it's like, <laughs> okay, right. I'm thinking it goes like this. Like, do you think that's a good idea? Or maybe you have a, a better idea because this is your specialty, mm-hmm. you know? Exactly. And then like, then they are like, oh yes, I contributed to this. I am not just a light stand mover. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. We're all film. Hopefully we're all, I have this saying that I heard from a director friend of mine that says, when he met me, he goes, I like you because you have a bit of Fellini in you. It's like a little oh. saying. And I always use that with no matter who, whoever's in the crew, I try to pick people that have a bit of Fellini in them, which is another way to say they're all filmmakers. Yes. So if that's the case, you should, as you say, mm-hmm. take advantage of that experience. And again, yeah. all over the world, there's different ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember shooting a film in Egypt once, and it was a totally local lighting and grip crew and i could have come in and said okay this is how we do it in la this is how we do it in north america and tried to but part of the best thing that i feel was a success with that is i actually kind of leaned in and asked them how do you do things here i know i want this effect how we get there i don't care as you say how do you want to do it and then you saw this amazing kind of uh, cross-cultural love happened just because <gasps> <That's so great. laughs> because it was, there was a respect mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, this is how we do it and that's it. And I guess I've got, had the fortune of working with filmmakers that have done different genres and that's kind of, again, coming back to the music videos, yeah. gave me this taste of trying different genres and different things. Like if somebody says, Luke, what's your style? I always say, I hope I don't have one yet. Yeah. Because it's a long life journey and I have tendencies, but hopefully I don't, you know, kind of just try to shape every genre of film that I'm making looks the same. Yeah, totally. I mean, every film needs something. A little something different. And that's awesome. Like, I'm glad that you, you brought that up because we did talk about how you had such a varied career and like from music videos to, you know, now you're, you're with counterpart that's just finished and like Rocky Horror mm-hmm. Picture Show. Like mm-hmm. I want to check out your reel mm-hmm. so people can see what your style <laughs> is and maybe we'll tell you what your tendencies are.
like it so much. <laughs> Thank you very Lots much. Lots of very good stuff. <laughs> if I was going to say your mood, which I think is maybe a little bit like uh, indicated by your music choice, but it's moody. Yeah. Your like use of shadows right. and like the lights in the back to kind of like point at what we want to see. Like, I think it's great. Well, thank you very Which much. Which I think is so interesting because like your personality, so bright and right. like bubbly. And then like, <laughs> you know, your, your my work. my ego. Your work kind of, but like as artists, like isn't that like yeah. great? Like I, you know, I feel like I'm pretty like bright and bubbly. Right. But then like when I get into like some of my, my own art, it's like it can get really moody. Right. You know, no, that's interesting You have to be light yeah. and dark. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's funny. I'm. My next thing is probably going to be a comedy, which mm-hmm. is funny. So when you look at that work, the director says, have you done any comedies? Yeah. And I actually have. But I guess the reel is an interesting thing because you're communicating with filmmakers what you personally like. And the kind yeah. of, t- it's again, a tonal thing, as you say. So I'm really drawn to that, to drama and yeah. things that are really well done. Yeah. But that are, you know, maybe sophisticated in a yes. lot of ways. So I really kind of have had the fortune of working on some stuff like that. Yeah. I guess say, like, it feels like very elevated. It feels very like, right. like sophisticated. Right. You know, it's just. I love like, to really crack that code. <laughs> oh, thank you very beautiful, much. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. You. Awesome. So let's talk uh, a little bit about one of your more recent projects is uh, Counterpart. Mm-hmm. So that one just finished up. Uh, season one, right? Is yeah, I think it's ten at the tenth episode. I think is playing on mm-hmm. stars soon. Yeah, so it's almost wrapped up. That's the first great. season, yeah. And so, so in working in television, so like when you're working on a movie, there's typically like one cinematographer, mm-hmm. right? But then on a TV show with different episodes, you That's rotate, right. or there might be a pool, or it could be just one cinematographer. So talk to me a little bit about that in the process of working with another cinematographer on the same show. Right. No, this is an interesting one on Counterpart because Martin Ruhe was the other. Uh, cinematographer on the show. He actually shot the pilot for the show, but I was working with him at the beginning. We were all hired at the same time to try to design this together, and it was his very first TV show, and it was my first time alternating. So there was two of us, so I did all the even episodes, so I started as of episode two, and he did the pilot with Morton Tildum. So we were all kind of designing it together, uh, but it was interesting for two people that had never done it before. I think we did fairly, very yeah. well. Uh, and, you know, it's a real, when you look at his reel and you look at my reel, because we looked at each other's stuff, because sometimes you're interviewing with a director and the showrunner and the producer, but it's very much, we had a lot of Skype calls together because he was in Berlin, because he's from Berlin and I was in Toronto. So we had a lot of talks even before we started the show about what we thought it should be and, yeah, you know, all that. So that was a fascinating thing to suddenly have an interview with each other in yeah. a lot of ways about because you're like dating you're going to be in a relationship right. now yeah so we literally had to have a couple of kind of talks about because also you know we want to kind of know each other's personalities and how we do the best work and and you know talk about lens choices and design like justin marks the showrunner and the creator of, of of counterpart had very clear ideas about the visuals i mean the he had all 10 scripts written i think the writer's room was open almost a year before i don't know wow. exactly how long but we entered prep with all the 10 shows written. So it was very much like a long movie, the way it was produced. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's what the appeal was, is that if I'm going to work in television, I really want to work on premium things. Yes. And uh, just the scripts themselves were so high concept. 
it took me a couple of reads to really start getting all the nuances and to understand what was going on. But that, to me, was an exciting challenge. Yeah. So working with Martin, we had to really think about those choices. There are times where he would finish off a scene and then the next episode I would pick it up in my show and then vice versa I'd finish a scene and sometimes it picked up and he had to kind of look at what I was doing so it was like as you say it's a perfect way to say we were dating in a yeah. lot of ways and you're like going to create this baby together like, exactly hope it doesn't like become a brat exactly <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time challenging each other I mean it was always you know pushing each other yeah, to kind of a little, a little do, competitive I, I think it's a it's a healthy it's an, com- an eight. yeah it's think, an eight. I think exactly. And I think it was healthy. I think, you know, he could step back and look at what I was doing and vice versa and say, hey, man, because you can't turn off who you are as a a photographer. Sometimes you have to kind of. But then it was interesting to be influenced by each other. And and to me, I was really, you know, looking forward to that challenge. And I think he was, too. Uh, And I think we did pretty we did very well. Like I was saying, you look at both our reels. We kind of both were talking that we kind of see why they. They, they picked us both because we have very similar sensibilities. Yeah. And I think that's something to talk about. You have a sensibility in, you know, you might be able to change your style, but you still always have a sensibility, yes. which is very much like watching the reel. You try to communicate that without sitting here and talking about mm-hmm. it. So I really enjoyed collaborating with him. And uh, and also, you know, uh, Dan Bishop that did Mad Men did the yeah. show that he production designed the show. And so... It was so going to have beautiful stuff to look at. Yeah, so it was an interesting thing to both of us talking to him about different things that we like. So it's kind of a new world of how to work. You yeah. really have to be open. And for me, it was an experiment because before that, I'd shot everything. I'd never alternated. Maybe one other show, it was that Lanthology series I did in Canada, I'd alternated. But they were little short films. They weren't related to yeah. each other. This was the first one that we had to truly... God. watch each other's stuff and you know that can go well it could go not so well but it sounded like this one went well <laughs> i i from my perspective i thought it went really well right i mean i think we were able to check our egos at the door and uh you know as best you can because yeah, <laughs> as you say it's a tough thing because you're when you're used to having to run the ship but then and make all the creative decisions there's a lot of pressure uh-huh. but then when you're sharing that in a way, it's kind of comforting because you can kind of bounce ideas, but right. you have to have the right personality. Now, are you rotating crews? Like, is it your crew and then his crew? It's always the same crew. Always the same crew. Oh, so and we're then the they only. They get a different leader. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> they gosh. They do. And we, it's funny, Martin and I have very different personalities <laughs> mm-hmm. too. As you say, I'm a, I'm a Canadian, French Canadian. I'm yeah. I like having a good time, but yeah. I also can push my crew. Like yeah. it's, but at the core, it's the best job in the world, and I feel that way. And uh, so it's funny how. We both, I think it was interesting. I can only imagine how it would be for a crew. We have very different people from different worlds coming in. But at the same time, when you watch the show, one thing I'm mostly proud of is it all feels like the same show. It's not like my episode and Martin's episode Mm -hmm. are completely different. And that's what somebody was saying. It's like, man, because I think as filmmakers... You have to take responsibility in showing an audience the same show all the like. Yes. Now you're going to move within the scripts, but it has to have the same tone. So luckily, we love the same things. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's great. Yeah. There's definitely like some shows where I started to notice when I, I started to actually analyze like how things are being made, and I would I would watch a show. I think this really started when I started when binge watching started. Right. And I would right. I would be watching a show, and then I'm like, this one feels different. This one feels special, and mm-hmm. I would go and look who shot it. And it's usually the person who did, like, the pilot 
like right. the ones that like it really feels like the show. Right, right. You know? Which is the first episode. Mm-hmm. So, so well, that it's made the show. Yeah, exactly. Because so a large part, I'll I'll say before I decided to take the show, they said we'd love you to do the second episode. I didn't say yes right away because I wanted to know. What did, what did they want from me on the show? Right. Like, did you want me to come in after and just emulate? But what I was told right from the beginning by Justin, our show, he goes, no, no, it's not like that. Oh. I want you to be involved on an equal front. Now, of course, Martin's going to shoot the pilot, and I respected that. Yeah. But then, you know, I wanted to know, do they? what do they want from me in a right. way as kind of doing this episode too? Well, he said pretty much a, a show to me, this is what Justin said, gets on its feet on the second episode. So really, when you look at the places the pilot explores, it wasn't everywhere in the show. So there were a lot of things in my episode that were also, we were still introducing the series. Mm -hmm. So So it's still like, yeah, and that's totally true. Like usually the first two episodes still feel like the first. Yeah. It's like a package. Exactly. And we were all there at the beginning. So, mm -hmm. you know, I had a say in the lens choices that we were Mm going to use. And I was there while we were pre-lighting the sets. And Martin and I were walking through the sets. And ultimately, he he will shoot his episode the way he would. But uh, I got to say, there's a lot of both of us in the beginning. Yeah. So, but that to me was part of the experiment that I wanted. Because I had never done that before. I said, okay, let's try it. Right. Uh, So let's talk about another experiment. Uh, Like, not really an experiment, but I guess so... uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. There That's was right. the not even a remake of it, but like so a lot of people don't realize like this is a, a theater <laughs> show, and in theater things get remade all the time. Like another crew, another set, another company will put on the production in their way, right? Uh, or a, pr- a group of people will do it again, which is what uh, was I found interesting with this. So Rocky Horror Picture Show original movie came out was like in the seventies, and it's like a cult classic, mm-hmm. and people do shadow cast to it all the time. I've seen I've seen it so many times. I <laughs> it's love a it. So beloved much. beloved movie. Yes, yes by some. Yeah. And then there's a you know the one that came out with Laverne Cox. You shot that. That's right. But I found it interesting that it's produced by the same people that did the first one. That's right. Lou Adler is the original producer of the original movie, and I think he's in his early 80s now. Yeah. And he came out and basically said, "I want to redo this," and yeah. he was involved. So we had a lot of. And and Tim Curry's in our our mm-hmm. version of the film too, so there was a lot of of kind of support from the original filmmakers. Yeah, uh, that doesn't necessarily you know. It's funny when they first announced the film. Uh, of course, understandably, and we talked a lot of a lot. Kenny Ortega directed this this interpretation. We talked a lot about what the fans of the original, they're going to hate us, and how do we handle that whole thing? And because it is the land of the remakes, that's why I think they were very clear that this wasn't a remake, because you could never remake such a classic. Right. But we're going to stage it in a way that Kenny uh, wants to to kind of reimagine this whole thing. There's a lot of music from the original, but there's also a lot of new stuff. This one has more of a uh, a musical tinge to it as mm-hmm. opposed to and it's still a very campy interpretation of it but the muse the dance element was huge because of kenny's influence mm-hmm. and i remember lou saying our producer said just go make the film you want to make this yeah. is what the beauty of rocky horror is is that it's 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 yours it's everyone's it's no longer mine and he we had the tremendous amount of support from lou to kind of just make that and for me it was my very first musical and working with a choreographer choreographer slash director like Kenny 
I spent two months in rehearsals with actors, and that's kind of how we prepped that film, yeah. with me, with my iPhone or my DSLR, shooting different angles, and Kenny looking through the lens and grabbing the camera. It was just the most unique kind of prep that I've had on a film, and I was really into that experiment. So... You know, it's funny. And also just talking to Laverne about this, how she... There was a a huge awareness of not replacing the original. Right. Because, of course, in the land of social media, as Mm -hmm. soon as they announced it, they were like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing this. But the idea of also getting out of your comfort zone, I think, is also good as an artist and, and working with a group. But there was a tremendous amount of respect for the original film. And and if you see both of them side by side, they're extremely different. There's a lot of similarities and nods, but, I mean, the whole movie starts in a very different way mm-hmm. with a musical number. Yeah. And uh, to me, that was fun to try. And uh, and it's kind of a very unique experience in my repertoire so yeah. far. How did shooting a musical um, go for you versus the music videos? That's That's interesting. Well... I mean, I guess there's the storytelling aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, in videos, there were videos I've shot that had a bit of a storytelling aspect to it. But again, it's that 90-minute type form where you still have to, you know, have an audience member follow through through and still be engaged for that amount of time. When you're watching a video, it's four minutes. There's a catchy song. Hopefully you like. That kind of causes you to maybe get engaged more. Same thing with this. You had to have great music. But the sheer scale of the production, because I think there's like over 50 minutes of music in a 90-minute film. I think that's the number. So that's a huge undertaking to be able to imagine, design every dance number yeah. and and also design, you know, I worked with a theatrical lighting designer for the first time, somebody mm-hmm. that was would help with these stage shows that understood theater. So it was like a blending of theater and film. I love it. And that to me was kind of the way to describe that connection where music videos were more, they were all filmed right. music. This was like a blending of forms. Yes. Uh, th- there's a lot of theatrical, st- there's a lot of stage shows mm-hmm. in the show. And I love that. And it's, I love that with your career and the, the different things that we've talked about before the show and now taping it is that you, you really like a challenge. Very much. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's kind of shaped your career and you, you being flexible and trying something new. That's right. So I think that that's like a big takeaway for like from your mm-hmm. career for our folks at home watching is and listening is go try something, you know, be flexible Absolutely. and try something a little bit different. Do you have any other advice for our filmmakers at home and aspiring filmmakers? Um, absolutely. No, I mean, I think that's very well said uh, because I think it's very easy to let the the kind of process and technology of making a film kind of gets you to not do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the beautiful thing is there's not one way to make a film, pretty much. And you've said it beautifully. It's It's that... At the core, you can grab whether it's your phone, and you've heard this before, but I think it's so true. We live in a a time where any format is accepted now as a legitimate format. There was a time where when you shot on video, Mm -hmm. it was not considered legitimate because film was the only high, and it was this kind of elitist thing. So I say shoot as much as you can and put it out there. We talked about this before. We live in a world where you can have your own TV studio and you have your own kind of distribution platforms with YouTube. And I mean, 
people are listening and seeing how many people subscribe to your channel. And mm-hmm. there are people making short films and putting it out there. I still shoot with prosumer stuff in my professional work yeah. because it's a great little tool that you don't need a crew. Sometimes you have a crew of 60. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have to bring assistance with you to go get a shot for yeah. a movie. I go out with my DSLR and I still shoot. It's kind of like my secret that, yeah. that I'm kind of sharing. Because you can get really good quality yeah. stuff. What, what DSLR do you have? I have the uh, Sony a7S II. Oh, it's so good. Which is pretty stellar. And yeah. it's funny. I just shot something with, uh, I was testing the new, Panavision has these new 70 millimeter Primo mm-hmm. 70 millimeter lenses. Oh my gosh. And they have an adapter. So I actually was able to put these state-of-the-art kind of vintage type looking lenses oh my gosh, on the great. a7s and i actually posted on my instagram these photos of this thing i yeah i, I saw tend, it i tend to not post technical stuff yeah. i just want to it's everything to me it's a very creative form but mm-hmm. that i couldn't resist gotcha so i would say advice shoot as much as you can don't and don't be afraid i yeah. mean just the fact of picking up your camera and going out with your friends is equally as legitimate as me working on counterpart yes there is an audience for it where before we didn't Yes. have that definitely and, and there's like yeah. there's an audience there's an outlet and you have what you need to start shooting things like in your pocket i know you have yeah. a camera in your po- if you're listening to this podcast you probably have a way of listening to it you probably have a camera you have or know somebody who has that's right something that can shoot so you can get out there you can start learning how to frame things you can start learning and, and talking with the other people and collaborating that's right and making something great because every time you do it you learn a bit a little bit more Exactly. Yeah. And getting together with your friends and just talking about ideas. Because mm-hmm. all of us can pick up the camera. Yeah. But the hard part is the content. But what the do ideas. we make? Yeah. And the thing is, you yeah. can make anything. So awesome. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you guys go out there and make sure you create, release, repeat. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you want to see more of Luke's stuff, you can check out his website at lucemontpellier.com. That's it. Also on Instagram at the same handle. And you can see his fancy camera with a bunch of vintage (laughs) lenses. I did see that. I thought it was very exciting. And I'm Mary Lou Mandel. I will catch you guys next time. You can find me all over the internet at Mary Lou Mandel. See you next time. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.